Good morning to you um, with us at home. Uh, It's lovely to be speaking to you this morning. And we pick up the Sermon on the Mount this morning um, after the statements that we looked at last week that Adam explored for us as to what an upside-down kingdom life looks like. And Jesus finishes that section of the Beatitudes with one last statement. He says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. And that would suggest that there's an expectation at the end of the previous passage that we looked at last week, that there's something about the way that you and I have been made and called to live as a follower of Jesus that will be so countercultural, that living out our faith in action will be so radical to the normal experience of society that it will provoke a strong reaction from those around us that our lives should be noticeably and radically different. And then Jesus says these words as he starts the passage that we're looking at this morning. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I thought when I was reading this, preparing for this morning, salt and light do not sound like very radical things. Could you ever get anything more everyday and normal than salt and light? How often do you have a chat in the pub with your mates about the radical nature of light or get excited over lunch about the chemical formula NACL? I am very proud of myself that I remembered the chemical formula for salt. I did check it on Google just in case. What is Jesus talking about? What is so special about salt and light? And how on earth am I like them? Well, let's start with salt. For the audience that Jesus was speaking to at the time, salt would have been used as flavoring, much like we use it now. But one of its primary properties would have been as a preservative. They had no fridges, no freezers in those days. It was a hot country, so meat would be salted to prevent it from going bad. Now, I don't know if you have ever smelt rotting meat. If you're not sure, chances are you probably haven't, because I think you know about it if you have. Nobody stands around to just enjoy the aroma of rotting flesh. It's the kind of smell that makes you heave. And I don't know about you, but my natural human reaction faced with rotting decay is to get as far away from it as possible. And yet Jesus says to us, you are salt. And that means in the everydayness of your life, as you walk with Jesus, you have been made to prevent decay. You've been made to live in such a way that your life shifts the environment around you to one of life instead of death. In all the places of the world that are ripe for decay, you have been made to live in such a way that you bring the hope of redemption and life. So what about light? Jesus tells us that like the lights shining out from a city built on top of a hill, there's a light in us that has been made to be seen for miles around. And that the way we live our lives should have a profound effect on people's understanding of who God is. That by our light, they will see him. That in the everydayness of our light, of the way that we live, we've been made to dispel darkness. We live in a world that is full of darkness. 
that is constantly decaying and rotting at the edges. And we know the things that started out with promises and hope can go bad. We watch as good intentions go awry, as promises break, as life weakens. We know pain. We know suffering. We've watched quite helplessly from a distance this week as an entire nation is being brought to its knees by disease. I read yesterday afternoon of a gang-related murder, another one of a 14-year-old child in our capital, and the rates of teenage violence are rising yet again. And as I read that article, it was followed in quick succession by an email that came into my inbox of somebody in our locality crying out for help for refugees who are living hidden in our community who have nothing. It can be overwhelming. We are constantly confronted with the decay of life and the knowledge that things are not as they're supposed to be. And into this reality, Jesus looks at his disciples, ordinary folk, full of doubt and insecurity, of little faith, often scrapping or fighting with one another, just like us. And he says, your salt, your light in your everyday lives, whatever they look like, whether you are a business person or a homemaker, a student, whether you're young, old, older, single, married, wherever you find yourself this morning, he says, you have been made to bring life to the rotting and decaying places. You have been made to stand in dark places and roll it back. Just in the ordinary everydayness of your life. And maybe just sit with that a moment. That is what God says about you. That's his big plan for St. Paul's. We are salt, we are light. It's so exciting. But the only way that either of those two things work, even in their ordinariness, if that is a word, is that they require action and movement. To preserve meat, you have to rub salt into it. It requires an action. To light up a dark place, you have to get right into the middle of the darkness and lift your light up for it to be seen. And we are to be those who sit in the dying places, who run headfirst into the dark because we've been made to transform it. Jesus says in verse 17 of this passage, he says, let your good works shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our lives are meant to look like something different and yet so often, if we're honest, we know that they don't. And Jesus is really clear with us this morning why that is. You see, salt and light, these two simple things, are really easily corrupted by the outside influence of other things. So salt, interestingly, I've been a bit nervous about this because chemistry isn't really my thing, but um, in its purest form, so I'm told, um, it's one of the most stable chemical compounds. That means it can't go off. It sort of can't go bad. It, it, just, it, it actually won't lose its saltiness. But when salt becomes contaminated with impurities, then it can become useless, and then it will go off, and then it will lose its saltiness. 
Similarly, if you light a candle in the darkness, in its purest form, light will dispel darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light. But if you stick something in the way, if you intentionally hide that light behind or underneath something, the influence of something external can limit its effectiveness in a dark place. And we don't have to look far to see what those kind of external things are because when Jesus takes us through the Beatitudes that we looked at last week in the previous passage, he makes it clear to us what a countercultural life looks like, what a countercultural heart looks like. It looks like those who are free of the pursuit of riches. It looks like a heart that knows suffering and doesn't run away from the grief of this world but rather meets Jesus in it. It looks like those who are gentle and lowly of heart. It looks like a hunger for God's law and the pursuit of a pure heart. It looks like those who seek peace instead of delighting in outrage and offence. It looks like a heart that moves towards the culture of the world with compassion and grace and hope and kindness, but is a life that is completely distinct from the culture, as salt and light are to a decaying and a darkened world. And Paul echoes this when he writes to the Galatians and he implores them and he implores us to shine like stars in a twisted and crooked generation. We are meant to look different in the most startling, attractive and compelling kind of way. I want to be salt. I want to be light. But do you remember at the beginning when I talked about the smell of rotting meat, about how we tend to be those who naturally move away from the things that stink, that are messy and dirty and look like they're going to bring trouble? Because the truth is that inclination runs right through me. And I read these verses and I think, Jesus, I know that you tell me that I'm salt and light, but I don't really feel like I am. I'm not always even sure in every situation that I want to be. To get up close and personal with other people's mess and pain. To plunge into darkness. What if it goes wrong? What if it gets messy? I think it probably will get messy. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I know that my heart is contaminated with all sorts of other properties that aren't very salty. I've lost count of the number of times that I've grabbed a basket and rammed it over the light that's meant to shine out of me. I don't often feel like my life is salty. It doesn't often feel very bright. And maybe you sometimes feel the same way. When I was preparing uh, for this morning, uh, particularly yesterday, I, I was recalling, and it came to mind when I first started out, Um, in kind of community-based ministry and I was a really recent Christian. I grew up in a Christian home but I didn't meet Jesus and I didn't give my life to him until I was 26 and very soon after that I went into sort of ministry working with uh, vulnerable people not very far from here in Richmond and and I was one of those Christians who's just a bit weird because they've just met Jesus. And I did really weird things. Like I went and we had a hostel in our parish and I would go and knock on people's doors and go, oh, what can I do for you? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me pray for you. And amazingly, people did, which is interesting. And 
And it was the most extraordinary time. And I look back on that and I just think, I didn't care what people thought because God had rescued me from the pit and I had fallen in love with him. He had rescued me from mess and pain and shame. And I knew him and I just wanted other people to know him and I didn't care what people thought. And as a result, I got to tell teenage, pregnant teenagers and young mums about Jesus and I got to pray for them. And some of the end of those stories are wonderful and people met Jesus. Some of them I don't know what the end of those stories are. But my heart had so been transformed that I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And I've been thinking about that and reflecting on that as I start this new role with you and this new time and life at St. Paul's. And one of the things that I have sort of felt God reminding me of is that actually if we don't keep putting ourselves in the way of his love, if we don't continue to allow ourselves to be amazed by Jesus, then it is really easy to become contaminated with the dust of this earth. It is really easy and subtle to just dim the light under a basket. And we hide behind our fear, we hide behind our weariness, we hide behind not wanting to offend anyone, we get contaminated with our comfort and the grains of disappointment where things haven't quite worked out the way we thought it would. We stop being obedient to God because we get scared of what he might ask of us if we surrender our rights and our opinions and our tight hold on our plans. And we can kind of make things look good and we can kind of make things look all right. But actually we start to lose our saltiness. And you know, Jesus tells us the scribes and the Pharisees, they kept to the letter of the law. They were renowned for their external piety, for doing all the right things, for keeping the law as it was laid out in the Old Testament. Everything that they did looked right. All their ducks were in a row. They did the right thing. They said the right thing. And yet Jesus suggests in these verses, that's not enough. See, when Jesus says that we need a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, all the external piety, he's not talking about us being even better than them. It's actually not sort of possible. They were really good at keeping the law. What Jesus is talking about is a deeper transformation, a whole heart kind of transformation. You see, the law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19 tells us, that it refreshes our souls. The law is perfect, but we aren't. And this kind of countercultural living, this kind of upside down kingdom that makes us salt to a dying world and light that is powerful, powerful enough to light up the darkest place, this kind of living and holiness, this reflection of heaven requires more than keeping rules that are written on tablets of stone. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, we need a law that is written on our hearts by the very spirit of the living risen Jesus. We need a light that shines in us that isn't just about trying to do the right thing and keeping all the rules and making it look good to other people, but we need to constantly be transformed by the one who is our bright morning star the one who has fulfilled the law by a single offering that makes us perfect. And it's his perfection, his righteousness, shining out from us 
from all our crooked and broken places that rolls back the darkness, that brings hope, that leads others into the peaceful and joyful presence of God. We need Jesus. We need his heart. We need his power. We need his presence and peace. And equally, so does our dying and broken world. We need to know him. We just need him. It's all about him. And the promise of the gospel that is held in these verses is that Jesus says, I have come and I fulfilled the law. And that means he's made it possible for us to be filled with his spirit. He's made a way for us to have this new heart with his laws written on it. And because he's alive and he's defeated our sin, it means he can always be with us, changing us, helping us, refining us. And his plan is to make us more like him, pure salt, pure light. And that means that we can constantly come to him and ask him to purify us so that all the stuff that contaminates us can be washed away. We can bring him the baskets and the coverings that we hide under and we can ask him to take them away so that we can shine in our community so that those who are lonely and scared and sad and lost and in pain and suffering can encounter the beauty and the glory and the kindness and the comfort of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's who Jesus says you are. That's who he's made us to be in him. In your ordinary, in your normal, in your everyday, in all your broken places. When we continue to allow him to renew and captivate our hearts, he makes us amazing because he is amazing. Amen.